Show up clean, sober, on time, dressed right. If you're using a checklist, I'm checking off the boxes that allow me to go, wow, this is going to cost me, but it's going to be worth it. You're the one who I'm buying when I'm at the door. Don't your customers know that that $49 deal is suspicious? You don't have to throw the other company under the bus, but you can say, Mrs. Fernwicky, $49 may not be appropriate to get the job done. Let me show you what we've got. Let me tell you what I can do to help solve the problem that you've laid out for and we can go from there. Fair enough? Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, are hanging out with you. And man, we are looking forward to Christmas. I hope you are too. And we are also looking forward to a great conversation today. We have Ellen Rohr. That's right. She is coming on. The president of Zoom Drains is coming on to talk to us about making sure you're priced right and so much more. It's going to be a fun time. Ellen is a great conversationalist and a fantastic person. And we're really going to be looking forward to our talk with her today. But before, we're going to do a little bit of talking ourselves, and we're going to turn to Brian for our quote. This is a long quote, and it's really profound. So hang on to your seats, ladies and gentlemen. Charge more than it costs. Ellen Rohr. Okay, okay, I see. Yeah, from where did, I believe that's from where did all the money go. I think, uh, I think I'm familiar with her work. Are you? Yeah, she's been on a podcast or will be here in just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her her she's got how many books? Four. Uh, four. Yeah. Four books. Author of four. At least four. I read Where Did All the Money Go? Because uh, one of my mentors recommended it. And it was like it was a crash course for me in realizing like, you know, I I worked at a business in Las Vegas that was ran profitably and it was the first time I came from family businesses and businesses of friends as a teenager in my early 20s in Michigan and never saw a business that actually ran profitably like it was just don't go so red that we have to close the doors and techs out there you really don't know how many companies run in the red meaning run at the end of the year there's no money left or just completely unknown you're like, I've heard this so many times at dumpsters and in the back of trucks. We're like, man, screw him, man. He's got like a boat. You know, he's got like season tickets to the Eagles game or the Lions game or whatever. I want that one day. You know, he's making all this money. Fat cat. Like, they're doing all right as the owner. But the headache that they deal with to end up at the end of the year with no extra money in the business for growth, for expansion, in, in profit, it's like... It's insane to think that all every all, everything that goes into the day-to-day operations of a company and how much stress is on the hearts of these owners and managers and VPs of operations. Kudos Nate. At the and then at the end of the year to have no money left is 
or to be to owe money because most of them like lose money at the end of the year. And when I say most, I mean if you're in like a lot of the the Facebook groups I'm in and stuff, you hear a lot of companies that are just doing really really well. But I bet you it's less than five percent of all of the trade companies out there are actually making a profit. And I can say that because I don't know how many I worked for, but I've only, uh, you know, before I came here, I'd only worked at one that was actually profitable at the end of the year. Like it's, you're just expected to run at a loss. And who was it? Andrew Dobbins, who's on the show about a year ago now said, uh, if you were to take one of these businesses that loses money or does single digit net profit onto shark tank, like they would laugh you off the stage, right? They would never do it, but it's some of the hardest work you can do to build a business. It's like, it's insanely hard work. Like you're usually in the driver's seat of a truck to start and running calls and you get out of the crawl space or the attic and then you got to go do your own billing and call back all your clients and handling all of it in the beginning to think that it's done for really anything less than 15, 20% net profit is just, it's a travesty. Like, why would you, why would you get into it? Just go do something else. There's so much, so many easier businesses to build. And her book was like a, it was really refreshing to look at our trade businesses from a business perspective, because she's a business mind. She went to business school and see that they should be run like a business, not like I don't know what, what you would call a, you know, a commune service where I'll take care of this and you fix my roof and like, but actually run like a business where there's profit left at the end of the year and you're building something and the business can grow. And one day the owner and managers and even technicians will be able to retire because they've made enough money to, to invest and stash some away and have some left at the end of the year. And it's, it's, you know, it's, Way more other technicians and other contractors in the industry who beat up profitable companies than even clients. Like, they don't expect you to run your business at a loss. But other contractors, too. I never stop seeing it in these contractor groups. I would say electricians are probably the worst at, at really undervaluing themselves and their, and their skills. Um, and you know, I'm a plumber, so I can make the joke about them never understanding how to clean up a work site. I get it. I worked with them a lot in new construction. It's true. <laughs> They've never owned a broom. Uh, but their their skills are formidable. Like, they, they handle the most dangerous stuff in the house. And electricians get killed every year. So we were just talking to our plumbers this morning about the 20th plumber got buried in a trench in the last two years in the United States. This was in Illinois yesterday, well, as this is recording, yesterday. <clears throat> and he was, it, the article said uh, he was the 20th plumber to be buried in a trench. Now, we can go on forever about safe trenches and how to do this right, and should probably go on forever about it. But, you know, there are safety protocols in all of the trades that need to be followed, I'm not the biggest OSHA fan on earth like anybody in the trades, but the, this is one thing that you really have to agree with them on, these safety protocols that should be overly used, not underused. But they're, they're dangerous jobs where people get hurt and killed often. And to think that we should run each other at a, 
a major loss or, or run the business at a major loss and, and barely be able to retire, if at all, because we happen to pick a job that works, we work with our hands and mind instead of just our mind. It doesn't make any sense to me. And now I've been around too many people like Ellen Rohr to ever think that way again. It's over for me. I'll never look at it like that again. So I'm in these Facebook groups and LinkedIn groups just screaming from the mountaintop at anyone who will listen or anyone who isn't listening. And I'm always going back and forth with the people who say, you know, this guy will look at Nate and hear your pricing and go, you're a rip-off artist. And that guy will say, why? And Because and, the part only costs eight bucks, bro. Like, ugh. I'm I'm always happy that we're having this conversation online because I'm I'm one of the few people who's actually way less aggressive, as you know, online than I would be in person. And hearing someone say something like that, it would be real tough not to throw a chair at them. You know? So fortunately, <laughs> we don't have internet chairs yet that I can throw at somebody. But I just laugh and I'm like, man, this guy is go. He's on a path because it's usually small business owners saying it, crucifying the other the other ones who are charging right. And this guy's on a path to never retiring or passing away early and leaving nothing for his family. And the sad part of it is a lot of them don't even know. Right. They consider it noble. Noble to leave that legacy. Which I, another one I just, I've never had someone explain it to me where it made sense. And I am all about getting that explanation. So pick up the book. Whatever, whatever area of the trades you're in. I don't care if you're a plumber, carpenter, garage door tech, part runner, pick up the book. Where did all the money go? And under, or like the E-Myth Revisited is another one that's just great for this. And understand how hard these contractors work to build a business to end up with nothing at the end of the day, year, lifetime of service. And just understand it's not right. It's not okay. I, I'm, I'm just done with it. And uh, Ellen goes so far out of her way to change this, and, and kudos to her for that. She's been a champion of this for decades now. It's well said, Brian. And I think the, the true enemy here that is lurking in the shadows is ignorance. That's really what it comes down to. It's ignorance on the part of many homeowners who don't understand what it takes to put a, a person in a truck that has you know all the parts that they're going to need today and that they have a dispatcher at the back end and a call taker who took the phone call and then all the insurances that go with what it takes to have a uh, hands-on operation. I mean, unfortunately, in our area, uh, just the other day, a, a house exploded due to a gas, uh, a gas uh, main being hit. And, you know, like those are things that are, are horrible and nobody ever wants to see, but it is the reality of working with this type of material and industry and everything else and and we have to account for that in so many ways and flooding homes and sparking fires and everything else that can go wrong and no i mean that's ideally not going to happen at every home nor almost any home but it, it can happen and it does and we have to account for that and homeowners you know they're in many ways they're ignorant to that and unfortunately the ignorance continues even into the trades itself where like you said, Brian, I mean, so many guys don't even understand uh, where the money is going or why it's going or why they don't have any left at the end of the year. I remember uh, a, a former uh, owner of our business, Scott Rohr, would often say that they're out of business. They just don't know it yet. 
Like they're already running at a loss and they are going to be out of business. It just hasn't come to fruition yet. And that's, that's really sad because there's so many good people out there who putting hard hours and the sweat of their brow and the, the ache of their back into making something of themselves and of the industry. Uh, and they're doing it too cheaply and it's unsustainable. And that's, that's an unfortunate uh, tragedy that we see day in and day out in the trades. And it's something that we want to wage against here, wage against that type of mentality and that type of ignorance. And that's part of the reason that Ellen's on the show here today to make sure that we are bringing attention to making sure that you are priced right and that you are accounting for that. Because at the end of the day, whether you're a tech in the field or somebody behind a desk, you do want to be able to have a little something to stash away. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And we firmly believe in that motto. Without any further ado, we are going to believe in putting Ellen Rohr into your passenger seat right now. Our guest today is Ellen Rohr. She affectionately knows herself as the plumber's wife, but also president of Zoom Drain Franchise, LLC. Ellen nearly sank her husband's plumbing company. It seemed like lots of money was moving through the company, but at the end of the month, there was never any money left. With the help of great mentors, Ellen figured out how to fix and grow a successful business. She teaches business planning and financial literacy, helping contractors make business simpler and more profitable. Now, she is the owner and president of Zoom Drain Franchise LLC, a new franchise concept of 20 locations across the country. Ellen is also the author of four unfussy business books, Where Did the Money Go?, How Much Should I Charge?, The Bare Bones Biz Plan, and The Weekend Biz Plan. She also hosts a regular podcast, Behind the Wall, for phcppros.com, and Unclogged, a Zoom Drain podcast. There's far more to her than just that short intro, but we're going to dig into a little bit here. Welcome to the show, Ellen. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. We're part of the bigger family together, because I have a history with Benjamin Franklin, the punctual plumber. You have a... An amazing history of Benjamin Franklin. The, you're, I you're do. Like one, of the, one of the founding uh, mothers, I'll say, of Benjamin Franklin. I was Franklin. a mother over there. <laughs> yes, I do. And, uh, you know, this is what happens when you live a long time like me. I've had a, um, a very um, diverse and um, amazing career in the trades. And it started by marrying a plumber, my husband named Hot Rod. I married him once upon a time, and he introduced me to this amazing world of tradespeople. And I am a big fan. What I love about tradespeople is what I love about my husband. Um, they know how things work. They're a good person to call in times of trouble. It's either a win or lose with um, a tradesperson. It's a fail or, or pass. And I just love that about them. I don't have any of those skills. I don't have a lot of common sense, but I have a lot of uh, admiration for people who are willing to go in while others crawl screaming away in times of need. So um, I'm glad we're here and I'm, I'm glad to celebrate the, the people who might be listening today. And you let me know that technicians are on this call. Woo-hoo, I love that. Here, here. Yeah. We're, we're tech centered, tech focused. We're, you know, I'm a plumber by trade and uh, Nate has used a plumber before. So <laughs> we all have that. In common. But yeah, I was thinking Excellent. about that earlier today. It's like um, with all, with all three of the trades, but plumbers in particular, you know, we're, I was thinking about how many times I was in a crawl space in the winter under a mobile home 
you know, fighting off mm-hmm. black widow spiders in Vegas in the summer and in attics in, in the summer and like having fishing waders on trudging through raw sewage in Detroit basements. It's like, it's like the, the least, one of the least desirable jobs on earth, but among, it gotta be among the highest satisfaction jobs. I mean, I was, I was always uniquely satisfied at the end of a, of a hard work day where I had, you know, ripped out a whole bunch of stuff and put it in brand new and level and, you know, perfect solder joints and everything. Or, um, got someone water or sewage that didn't have it for days before I got there. And what I appreciate about you in particular and, and everyone who came together to create Benjamin Franklin plumbing and all of the, uh, companies like this one in the industry, like one hour, like Mr. Sparky that are really finally paying residential service tax. what I feel we, they deserve, which is, you know, there are so many, service technicians making six figures these days. And I don't think that's possible without the structure that you guys at least helped put in place back in the day. Well, um, my, my story really starts with selling prices. You know, that do, do you want to go there today? Should we uh, make that the focus of our call? We sure will. Uh, but before we do that, Ellen, I mean, speaking of being in the trades and the industry for a while, you sure have been. In fact, you've accomplished more in your uh, young 29 years, I believe, of life uh, than most people. Why don't you give us the billboard version of Ellen Rohr and how you got into this whole mess? Well, uh, and selling prices has everything to do with why we're on the call today. And it goes way, way back. But I will give you the salient points of my history. But I married a guy named Hot Rod. He, he introduced himself like hot, as Hot Rod. And I thought, well, I have to marry this one. <laughs> and then I found out he's a plumber. And um, I did not grow up with a handy um, dad or family. We called people. I was a privileged kid. That's a whole nother story as to what happened there. But as a kid, I was, um, you know, I had a very fortunate um, life. And we would call people when we were in trouble. And I didn't know. You know, you turned on the light. I thought it was a miracle. You flushed the toilet. I thought it was a miracle. I didn't know anything. I had no curiosity or interest in any of these things until I married my husband, the plumber, and I started to ride shotgun with him. And I'd go on jobs, and I'd see buildings go up, and I'd see the drains and the vents. And the and it was like I, I started to get the concept from a physics standpoint, and it just, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. Like I, you, you strip away the building's veneer and you look at the mechanical systems across, you know, where you're sitting in your truck or your office today and you just look at the mechanical systems and it is a miracle that, you know, we've done such a great job collectively as an industry that people expect electrical service and septic service and drains and plumbing and HVAC, they roofing, you know, keeping an uh, an envelope safe and warm for people to live in. All of those systems that have to be created um, by tradespeople are just that have been done so well for so long that people think they're a God given right, and they are not. They are a luxury, and they should be paid for. And so that, like, that struck me early on. Um, the value of the work that my husband and other tradespeople did. So I think that's a really salient point in my history. And I've never lost that sensibility that I feel like my job is to be a champion for tradespeople. I can do what I do inside my circle of influence to make sure that trades are honored and paid well. 
that's important to me. Now, I fail every day with both those things, but that's always what's motivating me to be on this podcast today and to get up every day and to, you know, put my armor on and, and go, go to work. So um, then what happened is my husband and his uh, best friend started a, a company. They called it Hot Rod and Yacht Plumbing, Heating, and Solar. It started in 1978. And uh, they were buddies from fifth grade. Um, and then, unfortunately, his partner, a guy named Richard Jocks, a best friend of his and a great friend of mine, he um, got sick and he died at age 33. He oh, literally wow. worked himself into a, a stress-related health crisis and died. In fact, when he went to the hospital on Saturday after a full work week, I thought he would be in a hypochondriac. I'm like looking at Hot Rod like, oh, come on, how bad can this be? And then he died. And the two of us are just looking at each other like, oh, my God, what just happened here? <laughs> and after the, um, you know, the initial grief and trauma of that, my husband says to me, um, I'm going to go get a job because Yox did a lot of the administrative stuff. And I don't really like the business of business. I like doing the work. So I'm going to go get a job. And I talk hot right out of it. I say, listen, I'm going to quit my real job. I'll come work with you. I'll count the money and we'll get rich. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that didn't happen. In fact, it, it, it took us down a path of hurt and disaster for a long, long time. So Ellen, that's so, um, uh, I love how you are just a, uh, you're an advocate of the trades and we need more and more yeah. people like that. And, and to interrupt your story right there, I mean, the one thing that a lot of people have done in the trades is they have decided to jump into their own business. They've, they've decided to make yeah. their own thing of it. And, you know, they have dreams and aspirations of how good and the grandeur that it's going to be. And yet it doesn't always work out that way. So what was your experience with Hot Rod when you decided to step into the business and how did that go? That's, that's a really important thing to point out because there's a friend of mine, Jim Olsinski, and he used to be the um, editor and publisher of Plumbing and Mechanical Magazine and a great, great man and observant uh, observer of the trades. And he said that we cannibalize our good trades people, and that's why they start their own businesses. That there's nowhere to go. They're not being appreciated. They're not being paid well. And so they'll start their own business. And that is exactly why Hot Rod started his own business. Hot Rod doesn't really have the entrepreneurial streak that um, uh, many, many business owners have, successful business owners have. It wasn't, he didn't start a business because he was dying to start a business. He was starting, he started his own business because there was nowhere to go in the jobs that he had had previously. Those guys were knuckleheads. And so if that was going to be who he was working for, he was going to have to start something on his own. And I think that happens a lot, that we don't provide any kind of career path or you know, even a path to ownership, perhaps, for the people who work with us. And so they end up starting a business of their own that maybe never really was going to make it. Does that make sense? Yeah. You see where I'm going with that? Right. So I've done, like, everything that I, I will caution you, dear listener, about doing, we've made all these mistakes. And it doesn't matter. In the end, we get where we need to go. So be kind to yourself on this journey. But you might, you know, think as you start a business of your own, is it the business business that I'm interested in? Because that's the part that you're going to end up doing. And that was the part that was so hard for us. So I go to work with Hot Rod and I call around. I ask the competitors, 
how much they're charging. And you know what? I charged a little bit less than they did, you know, to get the job. And I thought they might know what they were doing. And then it just got to be this downward cycle of not charging enough and then scrambling to make payroll every week. And what would happen, because, you know, you hurt the ones you love, Hot Rod and I would take that frustration out on each other. I would tell him, we don't have enough money. And he would hear, I'm not good enough. I'm not working hard enough. And, you know, um, drama ensues. And so what turned us around and turned around so many um, uh, contractors in my generation was a fellow named Frank Blau. Are you guys familiar with Frank? No. You know who he is? Oh, I love He'll love it, too, because he loves, he loves when I brag on him. Frank is in his mid-90s now. He used to write for Plumbing and Mechanical Magazine. That's where I met him. And he wrote a column back in 1989. I can still picture the magazine. I can picture the layout of the column. And it's called, How Much Should a Contractor Charge? And I read this with interest because I was not making it, right? And so I read this article. And if you're taking notes, write this down. In the article, he says, you've got to charge more than it costs. Ha! Ha, brilliant. Well, (laughs) That's not what I learned in college with my college degree. I learned about things like um, the going rate and what the market will bear and all of this nonsense. And he was like, you know what? That's not that. you got to charge more than it costs, and it doesn't matter what your competition is charging. So I wrote him a letter. Dear Mr. Blau, Blau please help me. And I spent a paragraph telling him how um, horrible my life is. We're not making any money. I read your article, and then I spend two pages telling him why he's wrong. But, Mr. Blau, you don't understand my cheap customers. You don't understand my guys who can't sell anything. You don't understand what's happening here. And so he called me up. He told me where my head was, not making this up, like picked up the phone, hello, and he goes, honey, your head is, tells me where my head is. (laughs) I hang up on him. This is like my... uh, um, inauspicious beginning to a lifelong uh, friendship with this man who helped me turn my business around. And what he taught me is, girl, you got to figure out your balance sheet, your profit and loss. you got to figure out how much it's costing you to be in business, divide it by the number of billable hours you could possibly sell and charge more than that. That is the basic selling price formula that I use to this day that I use at Benjamin Franklin and, and uh, um, with Zoom Drain with thousands of clients over the years, add up your cost of doing business, divide it by the number of widgets you sell, in our case, it's billable hours, and charge more than that to your desired amount of profit. And then keep score. If it's working, you'll make money. If it's not working, you know, look into it, see what expenses you could you could manage. But overall, you might have to raise your prices again and again. And, you know, I just had this conversation again with my partner at Zoom Drain franchises that that selling price is a dynamic thing and it may have to go up you want to pay your guys more you want to do better um for your customers you want to have nice trucks and have good insurance you want to compete on this playing field for for skilled labor or green people who want to develop in our trade it's going to cost your customers and it really changed my life you can see i'm almost on a soapbox about it that's why i'm so happy that you asked me on here and I know it's tough because, again, going back to the beginning of my story, nobody ever wants to call a tradesperson. 
They don't wake up on Saturday going, oh, I'm going to just go check all the mechanical devices in my house and see what's broken. And so I could have people trace through my house and give me really expensive bids to fix all this stuff. Nobody wants to call you. So as the service technician, when you show up, you're going to be dealing with someone who's stressed. They didn't want to call you. They don't know how much it's going to be. They're afraid. They might have seen something on the news that says contractors are going to rip you off. All these things are stacked against you when you show up. And so another responsibility I've taken on in my career is to do what I can to start to grease the skids in this moment between the, the customer, the homeowner, the business owner, and one of my team members who shows up. How do I make that moment go good? Does that make sense? Like, how do we make that a sigh of relief? You've called the right place. The hero has arrived on the job with the tools and expertise that he or she needs to get the job done. Yeah, it's going to cost you, but you found the right person. That's a big part of what I'm responsible for as well. Mm-hmm. So, so what is the answer? Is that, I mean, I missed a lot in between. Haran and I ended up selling our business to our employees who still run Hot Rod and Yacht Trucks 26 years later. Couldn't be more proud of that. I ended up working throughout the industry, writing for a bunch of magazines. I love the PHCP Crows. Shout out to you guys. I still do some work with them. And I uh, work with Benjamin. I work with, worked with Benjamin Franklin. And now I'm the president of Zoom Drain Franchising. And we're the drain and sewer expert with a truck in every neighborhood and your first choice for service. Oh, I love so that. that's the short story. <laughs> no, so good. Now um, that I got my throat working. <laughs> so good, so good. Uh, so let's let's start there with the Zoom drain thing. I mean, tell us a little bit about that and uh, how did you how did you step into that and why? Well, I I um it really goes back to Benjamin Franklin. So I was um uh you know once Hot Rod and I sold our business and the reason we sold our business and this is this is part of the story too. You know, I'm just thinking in terms of who might be listening. So, you know, as you start your own business or as you're working for another business, here's here's something to keep in mind. You have the right, maybe the responsibility to do what you want to do in life. You do what you want to do in life. Make sure that your boss knows what you want to do. Make sure if you go out in business for yourself that you communicate to your team what it is that you want and why you're doing this. You know, have those conversations. When we were making no money, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? When we were making no money, Hot Rod and I couldn't even see to get through payroll on Friday. But once we started to make money, once we raised our prices and raised them again and raised them again, and we started to have some money. We paid back our debt. We had some options. I turned to Hot Rod and I said, so what do you want? And he said, you know what? I like working all by myself. And at the time, I was like mad and you know, heartbroken, I was thinking, let's grow this thing. Now that I know how money works, now that I know how to do this, I want to grow a big company. But what I realized is I was trying to get him to do what I wanted. Now, if you're married, you might want to figure that out earlier rather than later, that you don't get to tell them what to do. (laughs) You see where I'm going? Yet we do it. We do it in our marriages and we do it in our businesses. If only my boss were different. If only my employees were different. Well, you're not in charge of that. You're in charge of you. And it's with magnetism that you can grow a team. And it's with respect that you can give your spouse the space to do what they want to do. And the same with your team members. Like, 
Any team member who works for you has the right to do what they want to do. And if you make the game good enough, they might want to stay with you. And if you don't, then they get to go off on their own. Isn't that fair? So what we decided to do was stay married. I'm still married, 38 years. Nice. Um, but we don't work together anymore because we had different ideas. Hot Rod went off, started his own business. And if that appeals to you, if you want to be a boutique tradesman and have a very narrow market, work for Hot Rod liked to work for people he liked on projects that were interested doing radiant and solar heating projects. That's a niche, man. It's like West Coast choppers, right? You could get yourself so niched up and charge a whole lot of money and tell people to get in line and quit complaining if they want to work with you. And that niche can work. So that's one way to play. Now, what I had in my mind, what I wanted, what I still want, is I like the collaborative effort. I like growing a team. I like a lot of people. I like um, coming up with decisions based on uh, challenge and conversation and creativity. So that's what I wanted. So you can see that Hot Rod and I didn't want the same thing. So again, if you're listening, it's your job to figure out what it is that you want. Spend some time, 40 days and 40 nights, right? Out in the desert, at least metaphorically. Think about it when you're in your truck. What is it that you want? Right. And then take some action to move in that general direction, expecting some serendipitous help along the way. That's, that's how I live my life, right? But as the clearer you are, on what it is that you want, the easier it is for you to get it. The easier it is for you to say no to things that don't line up. Life gets a lot easier. Intention trumps action all day long, all day long. So what happened is after I um, hot run and I sold our company, now I couldn't blame my husband for not making my dreams come true, for not being different or doing what I wanted. I had to figure out how can I serve? What do I need to do? What are the opportunities available to me? And I really keyed into my personal experience. Hey, I was a mom in a mom and pop shop. I didn't know how to make money through the help of great mentors, including Frank. I figured out my asset from my elbow and I started to make money. I bet I could help other mom pop shops. And that's what I did. So I wrote a few books. They're skinny. They have pictures in them. I started to consult on the phone and didn't doing seminars. And it was through a seminar that I ended up meeting the investors over at Clockworks, which was, you know, um, Benjamin Franklin, Mr. Sparky. And, you know, before all of that really started, when they were with um, Contractor Success Group, that's when Jim Abrams tapped me to be the president of Benjamin Franklin, the punctual plumber. And he said, listen, we want to grow a franchise. And I got to say, before that moment, I had zero interest in franchising. Didn't get it, didn't understand it, said okay, because it was aligned with what I wanted. He was offering me an opportunity to grow a big company. So I said yes. So here's another point I like making when I'm asked to get on the soapbox. Say yes to things that align with what you want, even if you don't feel capable yet. You'll figure it out. You know, lesser men and women than you have accomplished things that are that are similar to what you want to do. So just say yes to things that line up. Does that make sense? Let me slow down here a minute. I'm yes. getting all fired up. No, I love it. It's great. Yeah. It's okay, great. yes. <laughs> yes, so say yes. So I said yes, and I got the scars to show for it. I'll tell you that. But what happened was a very um, 
educational and fantastic in many ways journey. We grew from zero to 47 locations in about two years. And um, I learned a lot. The number one thing I learned was I loved franchising. Franchising is being, the, this is kind of a classic line about franchising. Franchising is being in business um, for yourself, but not by yourself. So with a good franchise, what you're getting is a rockin' brand. You don't have to make that up or protect it or call the lawyers about it. I mean, you just have to buy it. You get the brand and all of those marketing assets. And then um, you get the system and the training and the coaching and the smarts of all the people that have put them together. At Zoom Drain, I added up, we have over 100 man years in our manuals. That's how much time it took that many people to write those, mm. right? So you could do that or you could buy it, right? right? And that's what you buy with the franchises. You buy a, um, a fast pass to the brand, to the system, so you can get to the work of being an entrepreneur. And so that's what I really learned a lot about franchising. And then the, the, the second thing about that is I love, love, love the franchisees because I was only successful in that adventure because the franchisees also saw the vision, saw what we were doing, and dug in and helped each other. So I, I just really fell in love with franchising and franchisees as a result of that, um, you know, that experience that I, I'm super grateful for. Now, as it turned out, things changed. All the, you know, at, at, at Benjamin Franklin, all the presidents were um, assigned to Sarasota. I was going to have to move, and I didn't want to move. It was a lead follower, get out of the way moment. And so I left Benjamin Franklin in very good hands, and I'm very, very proud of the, the um, trajectory of that organization and happy to be part of the story, Brian, you know, from the early days. But there's, um, you know, it was, uh, it was taken in a, a, a terrific, uh, it, it, the, my, my um, successors did a great job, right? Like, you know, I was, they, I felt great about um, leaving the company in such good hands. And there's a lot of smart people over there then and still. But it gave me another moment in my life to figure out what I wanted to do. And I decided, oh, maybe 10 years after that, I thought, I want to do franchising again. And um, I, I'm going to look to one of my clients, somebody who's, who also wants to do franchising. I don't want to sell them on it. I want to magnetize them on this idea um, and see what we can come up with. And at that point, then my best friend and another great operations, probably the best operations guy I've ever met is a guy named Al Levy. Are you familiar with Al? We sure are. You know him? Yes. Yeah, he's a okay. Is he, been, is he a friend of the show? He is. He's been on twice. Oh, that, he's the best. Quit listening to this podcast and go find an Al Levy podcast and, and press play. That's what you should do. <laughs> so Al's the best and he's a very good friend and just um, a high honor person. I love him so much. And he and I, had a lot of um, consulting clients together. We've been friends for a long, long time. And uh, we were talking about, you know, at some point, let's do this. And Al says, I'd like to invest. And I'd say, I'd like to be part of it. But let's see what happens. Let's just put it out there and see what happens. And as I remember it, at that moment, um, uh, Al's phone lights up and it's Jim Crenetti of Zoom Dream. And he says, you know, I've been thinking, I, I think I could franchise Zoom Dream. Do you, do you and Ellen want to be part of this? And it was like kismet. It was that good. So like, that's what I mean. Like when you get really clear on what you want over and over again in my life, I've had things just 
happen that were these wormholes to the next great step. You don't have to have it all figured out. Get clear on your intention. Take some steps in that direction. Let it be known what you want and why and expect some serendipitous uh, intervention. That's the story of my life right there. So good, Ellen. And of course, that is what you're doing currently. So give us a little bit of uh, the stats and the story on Zoom as it stands today. Well, Zoom, um, so it took us a minute. I said, now, what what I want to do is take our time with this, get our legs under us, get the um, model center lined up. So, And Al, because he's a very methodical guy, turned to Jim and said, your business is good. It's not yet great. Let's make it great so that we can not only generate the cash we need to grow this franchise, but create great careers, not just jobs for the people who work here. And we can also then give franchisees a vision. Like, this is how it works. Here's the lab. This is how you do it. Come see it. Let's go. And so we spent some time, you know, working on Zoom Drain. And in the last, I'm going to get these dates wrong because I'm not great with this without looking at the the numbers. But we opened for business um, six years ago at Zoom Drain. And we signed on one franchise and then another. And it took me five, six years to get to 15 franchises. And then this year, we just hit 33. So we oh, added wow. 18 this year. Ooh. And this is this is kind of the trajectory we're on. Two, maybe three franchisees a month is what our, I'm working on the budgets right now, is what our growth plan is. So our intention hasn't been to be the fastest growing franchise, but I want to be the best. And I want to have a truck in every neighborhood and be the first choice for service in the drain and sewer niche industry. In other words, we don't do plumbing. We just do drain clean. Our number one lead source are other plumbers. We're referral partners. You'll notice in the home services space that this focus on niches is becoming very um, interesting, attractive to investors. We took on awesome investors about a year and a half ago, and I am pinching myself. They're so great to work with. They're fun, they're smart, whip smart, 10 times smarter than me when it comes to financials and projections and what's happening in the world at large. It's great to have smart partners like that. And they're also really um, collaborative. They like to, you know, work with us and depend on our expertise and add theirs as appropriate. So it's like this dream team has come together. Then add mix into that, we have such a great community of franchises. They like each other. They break each other's chops. They're competitive. Um, they're real. You know, not every day is great. Um, uh, I always tell the story that one of our franchisees, on the first day he got two trucks, he crashed the two of them into each other. That was uh, a bad day. Oh you know, it's not happened. <laughs> and, you know, on one day in our empire, you guys can probably relate to this, I think we had 16 catalytic converters stolen in one day across the empire. Yep. You know, this stuff happens. This is not a stir instant success business model, but there's money in the trades and it's such a great place to be in times of a recession or a pandemic or, I mean, you guys are seeing this, right? I mean, aren't you pinching yourselves about being in, in the trades right now? It's so good. It really is. And the future continues to get brighter along the way. It does. And uh, you know, that um, gets back to our original topic, like that gives you some context in terms of what I've done and what's possible. But let's look at that in the broader context of what that means in the industry for 
um, uh, opportunities and for careers as business owners and maybe as um, as team members. Um, and, and with your blessing, I'd like to talk about, you know, what's in it for technicians first. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that is a great place to start because, uh, the, you know, we do have a, a large listening audience that is frontline people who are who are in the trucks right now. And of course, they want to be asking the question as of some of the topics you've been talking about already, you know, about this pricing thing. Uh, why do we have to charge so much? You know, why do I have to get beat up in the field over these prices? Why do I have to put up with a client saying, oh, but, you know, three of your competitors are half of you. So jump in, Ellen. Mm-hmm. Tell us, what are the answers? Well, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, being under a mobile home and, you know, it's, it's 180 degrees or 50 below zero or whatever. It's just like being in one of those really awkward, uncomfortable type situations and trying to be uh, helpful and of service. And, uh, and then you might even get grief for it. It reminded me of a story back when I was working with Hot Rod and Yacht um, that um, we got a call from a guy who I went to high school with. And I knew, because I went to high school with him, I knew he came from an uber-wealthy family who owned a ton of property in our market area. And, you know, it was just a privileged kid. I was, he was, I knew who he was. Anyway, it was a relative of his who lived on a, a family piece of property up one of the canyons not far from our shop in a mobile home. And we sent a service tech over there who spent the better part of a day in freezing weather and it was wet and cold and a mess and there was a bunch of rats inside the plumbing of this mobile home. Now this was a gross, uncomfortable, really tough job that he had to repipe it, he had to figure it out and he did his best. Now can you always do better in terms of communicating the value of your services to your customer? Absolutely. I'll take that hit every day. But we did what we could do and we tried to do our best. Well, the next day I get a phone call from my old high school pal ripping me a new one for ripping off his uncle who couldn't afford it, who's on hard times, blah, blah, blah. And I just, you know, I had that like head full of swear words. <laughs> like I get that moment where you just think, how dare you call me up and complain about my prices? Right. So I'm just bringing this up, not because like I'm, um, woe is me. It's just that that's the moment where you have to refine the skills that it takes to be a business owner and to survive those moments where people don't see the value of your services. So if I took my emotions out of the way in that moment, what I'd have to do is go, hmm, did we give them the price ahead of time? Did we do everything that we said we would do every step along the way? And if this person is just so um, unhappy, could I just give them all their money back and buy my way out of this problem? Are you relating to this? Can you can can you relate to every minute of what I just said? Oh, absolutely. Like this morning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not okay. relate. Like and just so, recall from hours ago where it's like there are times when no matter what you do, it's it's not a fit, like maybe a personality conflict or something, but it's just not a fit. And you, uh, you know, running a good business and having some profit there, it it can be kind of easily be the decision that it's like, here's all your money back. Sorry, we weren't able to take care of you the way that we, to the standard we hold ourselves to, which is everyone, um, is, is 
happy they did business with us. And here's some of the words that I've honed over the years. I'm sorry that you're unhappy. Our prices are fair. They're based on our cost of doing business. However, in this situation, I have failed to communicate the value of our services. And for that, I apologize. What's it going to take to make it all better? And then usually they will ask for something maybe less than all their money back. But even if they do, if you're making enough money, you can give it back. And, and I want to bring up this situation because if your boss has ever done that, it isn't because they don't believe in you or think that somehow you tried to rip the customer off or that you're wrong. Wrong or right really has nothing to do with it in this moment. It's an option for the person on the other end of the phone, for me in that situation, to buy myself out of this problem. So I'm going to do it. That's one of the choices that I have. So I just wanted to communicate that because if you've ever felt like your boss threw you under the bus in a situation like that, that might not be the case. It might just be, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Now, also, what we look at, just because, again, I can't control that guy's behavior. I don't have to go to his parties. I don't have to go to the, the reunion at high school. I don't have to sit next to him, right? Because I think he was being kind of a jerk. However, what I can control is me. And so I would also look at the situation and go, how can we make this better for the service technician and for the customer moving forward? So I would do a debrief with the technician. And I would expect you would want to do one with your boss, too, and just go over it. What did he do? What did she do? What did they say? without judgment, without blame, without being right or wrong. It doesn't really matter. It's about getting better at communicating the value of your services. Because over the years, over generations, we have trained customers to think that plumbing, heating, cooling, electrical is their God-given right. And it's not. And it should cost them. So we can do better. We can't change the customer, but we can change our behavior. How do we communicate in such a way that people know that we're going to be expensive and it's going to be worth it and that we make good on the promises that we make? You see where I'm going? So I'm going to be looking at these, these situations because here's how I come up with my selling price. As I said it before, and if your boss is, a, is um, doing the right thing for you and your company, I'm just saying they're going to have to be premium price because when you add up all your costs of doing business and divide it by the number of widgets you have, those billable hours that you have, and if you charge more than that to create some profit, you're going to be more expensive than the guy who's just pulling numbers out of the hat. So if everybody pays the same amount for gas and insurance and for trucks and even for pay-per-click, then the difference between a high-priced and low-priced contractor is what they pay the people. It's what they pay the people for the stuff that matters to you. Are they good uniforms? Are they nice trucks? Is it good insurance? Are these good wages? Is there a fair compensation program? Or as I like to say, equally unfair to everybody compensation program. I mean, the more you want to do for the good people who work with you, the more your prices are going to have to be. And all of those things equate into better service for your customers. You know, the customer wants to see a nice truck, wants to see a reputable brand presented in the in the um, marketplace. It gives them assurance that you're not a fly-by-night company. You're taking care of your people. You're going to take care of me. So these are things that are going to play into the selling prices. So, you know, for the bosses and for the employees in the group, for the employees, um, for the technicians on the call, 
encouraging the boss to go through, well, what goes into the selling price? Can you show me? Could we talk about that? You know, help, help me understand what the value of our prices is. At Zoom Dream, a few times a year, I think we do this once a quarter. We do like an abbreviated version with every new hire, and then we do it on a quarterly basis. We break down what goes into our selling price. I didn't make this up. There's a lot of guys in this industry who do it. And for the most part, I think Frank Lau is the first guy I ever saw do this. Maybe you want to start a business of your own. Well, let's educate you on what that takes. Here's the costs that go into this. Here's the basic formula of how we put the selling price together. I wish it could be done for $49 an hour or $75 an hour. I just can't make that happen with the math. Right. And so if we're transparent with our team members as to how we come up with selling prices, that can also give the team members some confidence that it's um, it's a true number. It's real. I mean, that all sounds good and well, Ellen. But, you know, what what if uh, what if I'm still getting beat up in the field? I mean, I understand why we're charging what we are, but Frank's plumbing and, and Joe's drain line and, and Tom's, uh, you know, this, that and whatever. They're half of what I am, and the customer doesn't seem to care about the service that I'm bringing. What am I supposed to do with that? Oh, okay. Like 10 things just came to mind, so hang with me. The first one is what um, I'm concerned about the way way contractors price in general. Now, this is outside of your particular control, but if the audience is far and wide, I want you to at least talk about this at your shop or think about it. There is a very common... Um, uh, pricing strategy in my niche, which is to clear drains for $49 or $39. I once saw a $7.95 drain cleaning coupon. No. Did you use them yourself? Now, <laughs> you, no, have, you have a clean the that shop's that drains? That's, that's cheaper than uh, <laughs> Ellen Moore can get it at her house. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, even I don't get it at that, right? So, um, you know, so I don't understand this. Now, like what I have to what I have to concede is if it works, I know some very good reputable companies who use the strategy. Apparently it works. I just don't like it. And we don't do it. And the reason is that it is devaluing our industry. I wouldn't see um uh plastic surgeons advertise in the same way for a nose job. <laughs> You know, use this coupon to get $2,500 off your nose job. Like there are other industries that take pride in being premium priced because of the service that they deliver. And because I have this knowledge and understanding of how drain cleaners prevent more diseases that doctors have ever have ever cured are the lifeline of the plumbing system. Keep good water from bad water. All of that is so important. That I think we don't need to do that, but you're going to run into it. Yeah. We, so we've used I the do, analogy of like a LASIK surgeon, right? I mean, nobody wants right. the, uh, the value pack of LASIK surgeons <laughs> or as uh, perhaps many of our audience would understand a uh, buy one, get one free vasectomy, you know, it's like, well, okay, there's some things that I'm just not willing to compromise on. That And that kind of conversation, Brian, is what I would encourage all of you to have on at, at your shop. Let's talk about it. What words did you use? What words did you not said? And certainly my next question is, if you're getting beat up in the field for your selling prices, my very first question to you is, are you taking some sales training classes? Do you do sales training at your shop? And if not, why not start it? Because good salespeople across the planet 
in any business are trained salespeople. They learn how to listen. They learn how to read um, cues from their customers. They learn when to shut up. And those skills can be taught in sales training. And there's some excellent sales trainers in our industry. So listen to their blogs. I'm sure you have them on your, your podcast, right? So listen, if you see a blog about sales and how to make better sales, listen in and start using some of those words and some of those techniques and start adopting. And you might say, I don't want to be a salesperson. Well, nothing happens till you make a sale. And you don't have to be a salesperson. You can be who you want to be. You can do what you want. In fact, in Zoom Drain, you might have a better career path if you're on the install side. Someone else sells it and you're on the the crew that helps does, uh, helps do the bigger jobs. I mean, there might be other avenues for you, but know this. In any industry, the guy who makes the most money is the salesperson, is someone who makes the sale. Until we have a job, we don't have jobs. So that person in any organization should make the more should make more money than anybody else. At least that's what I think. So if you're willing to do this job and to a Assume that position. So I'm going to sell as well as serve, as well as do the operational aspects of my job, the technical aspect. I'm going in there. Then you're going to want to get trained just like you would in any other area of your business. The operational system. How do you service Titan and get your tablet up and running? You have to learn that. How to use the machines. You have to learn that. And how to communicate better with people. Those skills can be learned. And so some words you might use, right along with other um, service techs. If you've got a service tech at your shop who seems to be crushing it, ride along with them and don't say anything. Just listen. Listen to when they talk and when they don't talk. Go through the sales process with them and break it down before the call, after the call, and learn. And sometimes it comes down to adopting some words. Like, I've listened in a lot. Um, Mrs. Fernwicky, I know you want to get the best value for your service, for your dollars today. And um, there you have other choices, and you might choose to go with one of your competitors. But here's what they can offer. They can offer me. I know how to do this. I've got the equipment and the, and the, um, the tools right here. I've got the know-how right here as you point to your head. Would you like me to get started? They can't ever replace you. And the more you know and the better you are, the more irresistible you become to a homeowner. Because I know this. First and foremost, I'm a plumber's wife. I'm a housewife. I don't know how to do these skills. And when someone knocks on my door, I'm really hoping that this is my person. I don't want to call 10 other people. I want you to do it. And I'm a little skeptical of you as you show up. I'm going to see, where would you park the truck? Do you look clean and sober? Are you on time? I'm opening the door and I'm thinking, I just want him to be okay. I just want her to be my person, right? And as you show up clean, sober, on time, dressed right, if you're using a checklist, I'm checking off the boxes that allow me to go, wow, this is going to cost me, but it's going to be worth it, right? So you're the one whom I'm buying when I'm at the door. I know, don't your customers know that that $49 deal is suspicious? You don't have to throw the other company under the bus, but you can say, Mrs. Fernwicky, $49 may not be appropriate to get the job done. Let me show you what we've got. Let me tell you what I can do to help solve the problem that you've laid out for and we can go from there. Fair enough? Ellen, so it's, those it sounds words, good. Those, oh, go ahead. It sounds good. And I'm just thinking, you know, the message you said there is something that we need to 
uh, really hear again and again and again that they are buying you. They are buying you standing there right now. Everything else is ex- expected, right? Your ability to do the job mm-hmm. and your ability to do it well. They're buying you. And that's a message that needs to be pounded in again and again, because I think a lot of people in the field, they understand it theoretically, but they don't believe it inherently. And what have you done or what have you seen effective in getting your frontline people to understand their own value standing right there in front of the client, everything they bring to the table? How do you get, how do you get them to unwind all the tapings of the past about, you know, how, how they're not worth it and they're just a plumber or they're Mm -hmm. just an HVAC tech and like, you shouldn't be charging more than $35 an hour boy. And like all that stuff, how do you undo that so that they can stand there in confidence saying, I am worth it. It, that's, that is really the heart of it. In fact, um, Frank Lowen said the problem in our industry isn't so much a pricing problem as a self-esteem issue. Just what you're saying, like that you don't Ooh. feel that you're worth it. And we have had um, uh, team members say, I just don't feel like I'm worth that price when I come. I mean, that is such a heartbreak. So you chip away at it a bit at a time. And I think the, um, the most inspirational moment I had recently on this topic was there's a fellow who works with us at Zoom Drain, and um, he's in his late 60s. Uh, he and his brother had a company for a long time and were good competitors with Jim forever, you know, as they grew up together in the industry in Philadelphia. And then when it was time for him to exit his company, he said to Jim, how about if you buy the company? He did, and now he does, like, guest star appearances as a trainer, and he's absolutely delightful. His name is John Galligan. I love him so much. And he and his brother worked for us at Zoom on a part-time basis, they're absolutely fantastic. But John, who's been in this industry a long, long time, says that when someone shows up at class, he will ask them, did you get some grief from your mom or your, your partner or you know someone waiting for you at home about being a drain cleaner? Maybe your friends are saying, a drain cleaner? You could do so much better. Or what? You're going to be dealing in that? Like, if you get, have you gotten grief about it? And they will often say that, yes, they have. And he says, well, you have a choice at this point. What we're offering is a professional path to a skilled career. And if you're willing, I can help you walk down that path. And you're going to learn a skill that you're going to be paid a lot of money for, that you're going to have a lot of respect, that you're doing more to to preserve the health of society than any other person on the planet. There's a lot of reasons to hold your head up and have your chest out. That's the path I have waiting for you if you're interested. That is that is such a great uh, message there, Ellen. And oh. This time has flown by, and we're up against it. Oh, I know, I know, I know. I love. Nate, well, you I didn't have to bring up anything. <laughs> if she didn't notice, she didn't notice, buddy. We just keep rolling through. That's our rule on the Waste oh, No Day podcast. I know. I but will you have me back again? I just love what you're doing, and I I love you, dear listener. Thank you for for being part of this um, conversation, and may this conversation continue. You know, take it back to your boss. Listen to these things as you're as you're riding shotgun with another, um, uh, you know, listen to these podcasts. Podcasts are just so helpful to expand your mind, to expand your career and your opportunities, your education. When you know better, you do better. And I've learned so much um, from, you know, participating in these conversations on both sides of the microphone. So um, thank you so much, Brian, for having me come visit you. Absolutely, Ellen. And if people are interested in learning more about you or about how to get in contact with you or the message that you're speaking is resonating, where's a good place to find you or more about that? Well, check out Zoom Train 
Zoomdrain.com. Zoomdrain.com will give you a peek into our franchise world. Zoomdrain Franchise is the specific franchise site. There's also Zoomdraincareers.com. Zoomdraincareers.com where we lay out a career path um, for all, you know, we have a lot of uh, opportunities to get involved in the office and in the field and uh, um, certainly would love to encourage folks to check us out there. And you can also um, check out ellenroar.com if you're an owner and you want some information about, um, you know, figuring out the financials, putting a little business plan together. That basic information I share at my website, ellenroar.com, E-L-L-E-N. R-O-H-R.com, EllenRoar.com. I love you. I'm so happy that we have a shared history together, and I want to come back, okay? Absolutely. It's a date, Ellen. Thanks so much for joining us it's today. It's a date. As well as for everything you've done for the industry. We really appreciate having you on. And it was great to meet you in person. I, I like, thoroughly enjoyed our conversations that we had in Arizona and look forward to seeing you again. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, gentlemen. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. What a pleasure it was to have Ellen on the show today. She is such a happy person and somebody who is just a joy to be around and to spend time with. And she also has so much knowledge to share. Love what she's doing there in a niche market in the drain world uh, with Zoom drains and everything she's bringing there in terms of bringing value to what we do on a day-to-day basis. There has been far too much time spent on eroding the value of the trades. And I thought Ellen really drove that home today, uh, even talking about how uh, you know, plumbing, HVAC, and electrical is not a God-given right. That is a luxury. And you know, if you've ever traveled outside of a first world country, you know that real quick. And so value what you do, uh, believe in what you do, and have the confidence to know that you are worth it standing there in the home doing what you do on a day-to-day basis. We hope that this podcast has given you some more courage to believe in that, and we want to be bringing that type of challenge and message to you on a weekly basis. If you love what you're hearing, let us know, because we sure love to hear from you. Uh, Leave us a five-star review and share this with some friends. As for now, we want to leave you with our weekly challenge, which is not only to believe in yourself, but to do it every single day by choosing to wake up each morning and waste no day.